So, so sometimes, um, not sometimes, all the time, um, Skype makes me pause and think, do I want to hit the red button to pick up or do I want to hit the green button? And I don't know why. That, that, so like, there's something in my brain that makes me think, wait, which, which is the right one? And I almost yeah. hung up on you immediately. I, I know. I, well, I, well, but that's only fair because I did hang up on you. Yeah, because well, because you were calling me on my phone, and I, I, you know, normally I do like to use my phone for phone calls, but this is a podcast, so yeah, right. And I blame, should. I blame, I blame Apple because um, they made me go get an adapter, um, and I don't have enough of them. I have, I have lots of them. The problem is they're not all where they need to be. Uh, I think there's some that are unopened in a box somewhere. <laughs> of course. Right. Well, cause you just, you moved, you moved house as they say, <laughs> as you say, as you, as, as they, as you say, as they, they say, um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you, who knows, who knows where your, where your adapters are. I, I've got a, I got an adapter bag now that, that is ready for traveling when I, uh, when I travel in 14 months. Well, I, I have an adapter bag uh, that I use for traveling, and it's uh, it's right here in my office. I should have checked to see if it had any adapters, but I knew I knew I could find one in the living room. Uh, so it's you know it's like two in the hand uh, versus one in the bush, right? Like I I had two in my office maybe, but I knew where the one in the bush was, so I went to get it. Right, right, yeah. I uh, <laughs> it's it's. Uh, <laughs> It's a, a, um, what it's what I call what I am calling now aspirational travel uh, a bag, and because um, it's you know I, I'm aspiring to travel at some point, but I know where it is and it's not where I need it, which is in my office on purpose for that reason. Two two in the hand, one in the bush. Um, one is I want I need it away because I will steal from my own aspirational bag. That's the whole thing, right? I know that if if I keep it here close by to do what you're doing, that I will, I, I it will never, it will not, it will cease to be a complete travel bag at that point. Ah, keep a small bag packed and don't don't use it for anything else. Right. Keep it. Yes. Yeah. And don't like I won't. <laughs> I'm so terrible. I won't. I won't even let anyone know. Like, so, so this happens in, in households and, and I, in yours, I'm sure just like mine, someone needs an adapter, someone needs a cable, someone needs something. I know. And this this is, I'm going to, I'm going to lean into the mic and and go quiet here. Don, I know that, that this exists and I know that, um, it it will, it'll be used, but I can't tell anybody where it is. Oh, Don, Don, I got a question for you. Sure. Does, do you have your call recorder on? I do. Good. I don't. Huh. Of course Why'd not, you do right? that? Of course. Of course, call recorder is, it's not. Anyway. Well, we will, I, I think we should, uh, I, I think we're going to do this without redundancy today. What do you think? Whoa, let's go for it. Here we are. Uh, there, this, this has happened. So, well, and yeah, here's so thing, we, we have redundancy know. because we have a backup plan to record on Friday. If uh, you know oh, yeah. if my stump grinder uh, was late, <laughs> stump grinder, stump grinder's late. Stump stump grinder's not here. Uh, but your stump grinder, your your guy Stumpy, as I like uh-huh. to call him, uh, he uh, he's the, he 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 or they or or she, uh, they they have arrived. Well, and, he, here's the here's the funny thing. Um, my stump grinding is now scheduled, and it's the same day that I'm going to be giving a lecture in Byron's class. <laughs> That's phenomenal. 
no oh, no obstacle. Also, also in the spirit of uh, synchronicity and serendipity, um, I googled um, "keep a small bag packed," and the top hit was a Flickr photo um, from Bridget Gould, who says, um, "Keep a small bag packed." In a comment on a uh, a post on Flickr, which more more uh, to come on that. Um, keep a small bag pack. I hope when Super Train gets here, I will be worthy, and I hope to Christ I'll have everything I need. The photo that Bridget is commenting on is a cross stitch that says Super Train, we paradise in our wake, and I own this very cross stitch, which I purchased from Bridget Gould, and Whoa. I proudly have it in my office. So how, how about that? Well, that that is pretty that's kind of insane yeah that that's that's wild that okay wow that you you've gone i think you just completed the internet <laughs> like i think that's i think you've, you it's now it's now come full circle uh oh um so so you got you got uh stump grinding that's that's happening uh well, in, in april yeah in april in april it's happening it's we're breaking we're breaking we're uh um we're packing bags uh, to be ready just in case, in case the stump grinding goes incorrectly, you'll be ready to go with all your cables. Uh, here's what's happening in my house, which has nothing to do with that. I have a child um, who went to the dentist today and uh, he had some fillings um, and uh, it, he, it, it is uh, difficult for him to talk and not drool and, and he can't eat anything. And he's very, um, He's got that look on his face like when I put the gentle leader on the dog. Like he's just <laughs> he's not happy. Yep. He 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 has not um uh, brushing his teeth has has been a struggle uh and and he is paying the price for it. I think he feels uh. that he that we have um that somehow it's my fault. Uh but also he he just he can't stop drooling, which is a problem in times of masks because he is a very he had a very ooh. wet mask ooh. Uh, ooh. yeah when he left the when he left the dentist so oh so is this his is this his first uh filling it is not mm. it is not his first filling, and you would have thought that he would have learned from this um but yeah he uh he's now experienced the second he he also he he um the dentist is is very um I, very kind to him, I guess. Like you know, we're we're the not non dental experts who are. You should brush your teeth. You should floss your teeth. These are the things that can happen. Um, he he had two cavities that were filled today, and his the dentist said he also has very um, uh, poor or weak enamel oh. that is not our. That's like not his fault. No, it's he, your it's uh, your your fault and Danny's fault. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and I, you know, truthfully, I'll blame my in-laws. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I throw them under the bus. I'll throw them. They're not here yeah. to defend themselves. Exactly, exactly. They don't. I don't think they listen to the podcast. They'll never hear this. <laughs> I, I feel like um, the the genetic uh, uh, situation that I brought to the table was not. Uh, it, it, we we weren't enamel deficient. Um, as far as I know, and, and I, my simple understanding of, of both dental hygiene, the outputs, uh, or the, the outcomes related to that and genetics will, I will, I will point at my, uh, at my, uh, in-laws who I almost called my outlaws. <laughs> well, they might be now. <laughs> it totally might be now. 
Uh, so yeah, outlaws, in-laws, uh, dental, dental things, but yeah, that's what we got. That's what we got going on here. It's beautiful here in North Carolina, Don. We, I know that many places in the, in the world are experiencing spring, at least in the Northern hemisphere, the Southern hemisphere, they're experiencing fall because that's the way it works. <laughs> Um, but it's, I mean, we, we've, I feel like we've turned a corner here. Uh, it, last week we, we had a threat of tornadoes. Uh, this week it is, it's like 68 degrees and sunny and my windows are open. You might hear some birds today whistling in the background, but, but I, um, I, you know, the optimism of, of the spring is here uh, well, and I'm, yeah. Yeah. Same here. Uh, 57 degrees and sunny. Uh, I was waiting for my stump grinder, uh, guy to come and I'm like, hey, I can wait outside and it's a gorgeous day to wait outside. Also, and let me let me tell you too, um, I am about to go to the dentist. My I went to the dentist last week, this week, last week, last week, um, and it turns out I have a couple of fillings um, that are old and need to be replaced. I- These fillings are older than your son. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And uh, it's time that they be replaced. And so the dentist said, uh, "Yeah, we'd like to. Uh, we'd like to do that." And so I'm going to do that. I will also probably be a little drooly. Um, and the only thing I have to worry about is I do have, thanks to um, the amazing uh, Anne uh, uh, Vegdal, uh, my former graduate student, she has organized a Schaffner new and old lab meeting um, uh, slash uh, cocktail hour um, at four o'clock tomorrow. And so hopefully I will be um, not drooling at four o'clock and, and able to consume uh, foods at four o'clock or at least alcohol. So, yeah. Oh. That's cool. Well, first of all, there's a lot, a lot of things I want to talk about here. One, very cool to have this like old past and current and and old people uh, all get together thing. That's that's something that I should do with my well, with my folks. Here's the thing. I what I tell my students is I would I'm always up to do that. I'm always ready to do that. I'm not going to organize it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm going to do the same thing. I will tell. I, I'd be happy to. Uh, to show up and and participate in that if someone else wants to organize it that would be great exactly um that's that's very cool so i the second thing i want to uh, circle back to is i too am going through a period of my life where i am having old fillings replaced and i don't think we've talked about this on the show or our other show dental safety talk <laughs> uh, but but i i it turns out um that i according to my my current dentist that I did not actually have a very good mm. previous dentist mm. and that my my fillings from when I was a, a teenager are are like uh, archaic and and I'm not I mean not not just based on you know time frame but they were just not in, installed I guess correctly or very well and the 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 dentist took a lot more of the tooth than what they would now do today and so that actually resulted in I had I, like I had a dentist, so it's an it's an ongoing saga here. But I had uh, a couple of fillings replaced. One they couldn't, two of them they could not replace them. So they actually had to like break my tooth, and put oh, crowns on. Jeez, yeah. So so like because there was not enough to like left over to replace it into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Oof. And so so then so now I, and then um, recently I had a crown, one of those crowns replaced. That was done by my new dentist that was uh, uh, put in like six years ago that I broke somehow. So like maybe – you know what? Going back let, – let's revisit where we started this conversation. <laughs> maybe it is me. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe 
now that now that we're here, maybe it's not my outlaws. It's me. Oh, well, I, I have I have also had some uh, dentist smack talk uh, from uh, de- uh, current dentists talking about past dentists. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember who it was that that did it to because I've I've had the dentist I've had right now for a long time um, since we moved to uh, Freehold Borough. So that's why the, and the 20 years, I, and I think those were his own fillings that he was replacing. But I also have had a number of dentists throughout my life in various dental offices. And uh, yeah, and I, they have talked talk smack about other dentists that, you know, based on what my mouth looks like. So, but yeah, I, so apparently there's not a, a code, a dentist code, uh, you know, if they're, they're free to talk smack if they, if they want. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's funny, like, I never really thought about this, you know, <laughs> whether it was unique or not. But you know, I, and I have so um, I, I won't call him out by name, but one of my one of my childhood, well, I mean, not my childhood friends, my my friend that I that I had, um, we we met when we were both ten years old. He uh, he's uh, still would, lives in Canada. That would be a child. That would be a childhood friend. Yeah. But, but like, and what I meant to say is like, we're still really good friends. Like oh, we right, text, right. you know, like two or three times a week and, but he listens to the show and he is, he's a pharmacist. Oh, cool. And yeah, but he is, his, his uh, partner, his wife is a dentist. And so, so now I have, I never really like thought to ask her about this. We, we have on, on not numerous, like, like not, so let, let's go into definitions here. It, we, more than once. But not really often. I've Facetimed her with my kids to for her to look at their teeth to give me some sort of a suggestion about what should we do. And um, one time there there was this like really I won't link to this really gross like situation oh. with one of my kids who bumped his like gum on the faucet in the bathtub and like had this like hanging dangling piece of his gum so i like facetimed her to get advice on like is this something that a dentist would deal with and she said yes and so we took him to the dentist and they and they took care of it but i never really thought to ask her about like smack talk and she she i mean this is why i don't want to call her out i'm sure she would never smack talk any other dentist right Um, but also maybe all dentists smack talk dentists but not her well we'll find out (laughs) right we'll find out and we'll report back so yeah. yeah And if maybe there's other dentists that listen to to the show. My I've got a <laughs> my, my my um my roommate uh, in, in first year college is now also a dentist. I've got a lot of there's a lot of dentistry in the in, in the Chapman universe. About that. Oh, oh, and speaking, speaking. Here's a callback to the beginning of the episode. Um, it turns out Ben, I had a USB C adapter right here in my office, but it was hiding in the shadow of my monitor. It's a black uh, USB C adapter, uh, one of these amazing uh, Aki A U K E Y Aki adapters. And I I like to fiddle with things on my desk as I as I yep. talk, and I hid it behind the monitor stand. And it, it blends right into the shadows. And so uh, I'm, I'm now going to take it. And I'm going to move it out of the shadows so that next time I'm looking for an adapter, uh, I can find one. Because I'm like, it, I was sure there was a little Aki adapter in here somewhere. And I couldn't see it because it was hiding. It'll be there. It'll be there now. Um, okay. So uh, this uh, this is the warm-up part of the show where you and I talk <laughs> about other things to get to get into food safety. But I'm going to tap something here. Oh, let's, let's get into it. Yeah. Okay. So did you hear that? Yeah. You, okay. So that... Um, 
I, oh my gosh, this is, you say something that makes me think of something that I do and, and I tell you about it. So I also play with things while I'm talking on zoom or on the phone mm. on my, on my desk. And, um, I, I went through a box of pictures, um, that I had in the attic, uh, because, and you know, I don't want to, um, not bringing the bring the the show down too much, but I had a, I had a friend, another childhood fr- childhood friend who passed away recently, mm-hmm. and a, a a guy who um who I played hockey with, and we, one of again actually friend friends of the the pharmacist uh, mm-hmm. childhood friend that I have, um and he it, it, it was you know he just had a lot of a lot of health issues um. And and passed away somewhat unexpectedly um, uh, a month and a half ago. And so I was looking for some pictures of him and me when we were little. And um, and so I have this box of pictures that I've like carted around from every house that I've ever lived in. That you know, once once every four or five years, you open up and go through like march through nostalgia lane. Um, in that box, what I just tapped on the microphone is not a picture, but it's a Swiss Army knife that I purchased when I went to Switzerland on a, on a high school trip when I was, when I was in high school. Um, and it was kind of like this, you know, uh, cultural trip that my, we, I saved up for, for a year, you know, you kind of like plan. So I like all the, uh, you know, uh, cutting lawns and all the jobs that I, that I did was like focused on, you know, going and spending, uh, 11 days in Europe as a, as a high schooler. It was a great, like a wonderful trip. And I, but I, I think about it a lot and it was really like, it, I don't know, one of those important you know memories, but I bought this Swiss army knife in Switzerland at a, you know, Victor Knox, um, store. And, uh, and, and I came across it in my, in my, um, in this box of pictures. And so now it's, now it resides on my desk and the, like I have multiple times. What made me think of this was multiple times. I open up the blade while I'm talking on like a zoom. And so now I got a blade open. It's near my face. I'm like playing with it. I then like close the blade. And I have now over the last six weeks, cut my finger twice, uh, by playing with a knife on my desk, which I shouldn't have because it's not something to play with mindlessly. So, um, so I'd much rather fiddle with an adapter than, than a knife. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I've got various things. So I've got some gaffer tape here. That's kind of fun to play with. I've got that. And then, um, uh, I do occasionally get a paper clip and then I, I start to worry though, if I like pick my teeth with the paper clip, I could, I could hurt myself. So so, yeah, (laughs) there's there's a lot of safety. There's a lot of dangerous things, but I I just want to briefly, before we get into the, before we get into it, Ben, um, I just want to, I want to clarify something because you, you have referred to your friend, the pharmacist and your friend, the dentist, are they the same person or no, okay. no. two, okay. yeah, two yeah, different two people. Separate. One, one just happened. They're both ists though. Right. One. And, yeah. Okay. And they're, they're married to each other. Oh, they're, oh the, the, sorry. Sorry. I wasn't paying. Yeah. Okay. That, all right. So the pharmacist is married to the dentist. Got it. Yes. Got yeah. It. That's the, okay. they're, they're like, uh, you know, a uh, power couple power, <laughs> right? They're yeah. It's highest professional, professional, uh, medical ist cu- power couple. Yeah. And, um, the pharmacist's, uh, doc, uh, the pharmacist's, uh, older brother, uh, he's a, he's a doctor who just performed surgery on my mom for cataracts. Whoa. So, man. so there you go, you know, small town, small town, bring down. There you go. That's, uh, that's what it's like uh, growing up in Port Hope. You got, you got all the people and, you know, just to, to, to fill out the, uh, 
um, the, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker portion <laughs> of the podcast, uh, our our other very close friend grow, growing up, who I still uh, again text on a on a you know semi weekly basis in in a group text. Um, he uh, he he's the he's an undertaker. He runs uh, one of the one of the two um, uh, funeral homes in Port Hope, Ontario. So, so we, we, yeah, we got the, got it all covered in this, in this small town, bring, you know, uh, br- bringing up where we, we got pharmacists, we got dentists, we got undertakers, we got doctors. Yeah, you, got, you got the whole, you probably have some obstetricians. So you got the whole cradle to grave thing, right? Cradle, exactly. Yeah. It takes a village, Don, as, <laughs> as they say. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we got that going on. Um, <laughs> so I got that for me. I got that going for every, me every time. Every every time, time right? It's like, uh, we're um, yeah. It's it, weird, weird, weird time. I've um, I, I I've shared this with you on the social media, and and you are. Um, I, I want to call you out because you're not call you out, but but highlight you're you're suffering a little bit of uh, from uh, vaccine envy. But I I got my first my first dose of the of the shot, um, and I, I want to I thought about you uh, when I when I got um, when I got this vaccine because I I experienced an emotional response of optimism, hmm. right? Like not not like oh my gosh now I can go. Everything's great. The pandemic is over. Like not that level, but but a very odd. Like walking back to my car after I sat for fifteen minutes to make sure I wasn't going to pass out. I thought, wow, that 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 was an event that has happened as part of this this year that I think I will I will always think about. Right? Like I remember I remember where I was when it was announced that that. My my kids were not going to be going to school anymore. I remember where I was when you and I started talking about COVID nineteen. I remember, like, I have I have these, and and I think back to those those experiences, and I I had a like a, a an emotional lift, I guess. Like, I can't I can't really explain it anymore. Like, and it sounds like I'm going through the paranormal or or having an epiphany here, but but it was like just the the experience of walking back to my car by myself thinking wow i you know we we i've just lived through a very odd year and now i've had a vaccine for this disease that all you know like 90% of my time i'm thinking about and everything in my life is impacted by it and it was very it was very it's hard to explain what what i was feeling other than emotional relief and and so i want you to have that soon when when well, you have a, a shot, yeah, yeah, no, no, thanks, and I, I, yeah, also thinking about around the 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 pandemic and and how things how things have changed or, or how they've stayed the same, and yeah, and you you mentioned um, uh, paranormal. Um, which actually made me think of Paranoid, uh, which is a, a, a British TV show which we've been watching. So um, anyway, we got that in uh, into the Perfect. pre-show as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Good, good, good. Well. Um, speaking of British shows that I've been watching, uh, I mentioned this to you on, on text, but I, I, I don't know if you've uh, been able to convince uh, the lovely Kristen to watch the show. Um, the big fat quiz of everything or the big fat quiz of the year. I think you guys will really like it. It's hilarious. And it is um, more – it is in the same vein as Would I Lie to You, which I now have watched all the episodes and we're all caught up and there's no new episodes coming out for like a year. But it's it's less family-friendly, which it makes it even more hilarious. And it's and it's all your, it's all your favorite British uh, personalities 
uh, they all uh, sit together and do a pub quiz, and and it's it's amazing. It's 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 a it is my it is now my favorite show, and and it's long. The episodes are like almost two hours, um, and so we're we, as like instead of watching old episodes of what I lied to you before I go to bed. Now we watch like 30 minutes of, uh, the big fat quiz of everything or big fat quiz of the decade or big, big fat big quiz, fat of, quiz stuff. of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So no, we, we checked it out. It was, it was again, you know, not, not exactly what Kristen was looking for, but I do, I do have to say in terms of things that we are watching, which we have really, we were very much anticipating and very much wanting to watch, um, is did you watch, did you watch season one of stage? No, with staged. No. It, it's okay. with uh, David Tennant and Michael uh, Sheehan. Sheen, sorry, not another. Oh, I know, I know that guy. Yeah, the guy from yeah. It's the guy from the ter- the movie that's based on the book by that guy and that other guy, uh, uh, yeah. Neil Gaiman and uh, Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. So anyway, it's uh, so 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 staged uh, was uh, it was basically. Uh, something that they did during the pandemic, right? Like that they needed to do something and they did it during the pandemic. And now, um, they have season two and it's, it's, it's really good. And I'm, I'm actually surprised. I'm surprised that Kristen likes it so much because it is very cringy in the Ah. way that British stuff is cringy. And so, but anyway, I'll just put out a, a huge shout out for for staged season one if you have not seen it, and uh, we just started watching season two, and it's it's brilliant. All right, I'm in. I'm. Have you seen the? Um, speaking of British shows with comedians, including Michael Sheen, uh, have you seen the episode that of a uh, great great British Bake Off uh, show that he's on with uh, with a uh, friend of the show David Mitchell? We, and I say friend friend of the show because <laughs> we both we both love him, love and, him and so much. We yeah. Have you seen that that episode? Because it's really good. No, and we yeah. So I should I should find it. We we do not watch the Great British Bake Off, although that might be with David Mitchell and with um, yes Michael Sheen. It might be worth watching so it, it absolutely is for for the two of them um uh, and it yeah it's it's really it's it's great i had to find it on like on the internet in a in a weird corner in a weird corner of the internet in the in the dark web um i think it was on vimeo okay. uh, so but i'll see if i can find the link and send it to you uh yeah it's it's okay. good Thanks. um but I, like basically i'm the if i think of you as the, the um the, the the one of us who watches British shows that are dark and demure, that's you. Uh-huh. And I'm the one who watches British shows that are cringy and uh and make me me laugh. And I and it's all I'm watching right now pretty pretty well. Uh so oh, and we're also very excited for uh the next season of Taskmaster, which I think is coming soon. So Well that see that's the one that I haven't been able to get Danny into. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's kind of goofy. I could understand why she doesn't want to do that. Why, why but doesn't want to get into that? So yeah, but it's but they're fun. They're, they're fun. They're so much fun. One one thing with all of these shows, it, you know, there nothing like this exists here, right? Like you couldn't get all of the same British comedians to participate in a in, in a in a panel show or in a in a ta- in a in a game show. Uh, or American comedians or Canadian right. comedians. Like it just right. doesn't exist in the same way. Uh, it's got to be part of their like BBC contracts. Like we're, you're going to do this show. Also, you're going to, we're going to make you be on six episodes in the next five years of various panel shows. <laughs> and, and that like, that's gotta be how this all works because I don't know. Like, I don't know why they would all do this. 
well, they are hilarious. And it, and it's so funny because we keep we're watching. It's like and the, you know Merlin's bit about there's only really like 15 British actors, but and they're all in everything. But that's the way it is in Paranoid. It's like oh, there's that guy from that thing, and oh, there's the woman from that thing, and it's it's great. So yeah, uh, yeah. Um, okay, so so we got that. Um, we got that going for us. We're moving, we're moving, moving and shaking here. Um, there, I, <laughs> Are you ready to start the show? I'm ready to start the show. I was gonna. I, I was. I know we've got a, a few things in, um, in in next that I wanted to to talk about. I put something in here today that I want. I, I want to start with. Sure. So it's a New York Times article that I read this morning that I thought was really. Um, Really kind of fascinating. So let me let me drop this into um, the uh, the text chat so you can see. But there's one thing I want to highlight for you on this. Um, okay, so uh, New York Times article: uh, Foods from afar hope to catch the eye of American shoppers. Mm-hmm. I thought as I was going into this article that it was about different foods on the on the market right like like um foods that are well as it says from afar not non right traditional like, american foods. yeah like fancy imported foods that you buy at a fancy shop yeah and it, and it is but it's really about the packaging and about how the the um how the maybe the problem with fancy imported foods in the past was that they weren't in American friendly packaging, and so they talk about um, cereal grains from West Africa. Um, they, it's really like funky packaging. Anyway, at the bottom of the article, um, there is a real okay a, a paragraph that I want to highlight here, and so you know we'll link to this. Um, and and I th- what made me think about it. This show and what I wanted to talk to you about was was this. Mm-hmm. After pandemic restrictions closed his eatery, Mr. Siegler pivoted in July to producing sweet Kaya jams featuring purple ube, golden palm sugar, and green pandan. So I don't know what well, – I can guess what golden palm sugar is. I don't know what purple ube is and I don't know what green pandan is. The, but the next sentence is, the coconut milk-based jams are packaged in glass jars with, quote, moon man running diagonally in huge white atop across a black label. And, and there is uh, a, a picture of this. I, I'm like – this is – you know I want to dither and, and uh, equivocate about this. A, a – Coconut milk based jam just in general puts a bunch of flags in my like food safety flags in my mind, right? Like what's the water activity? What does this look like? Is it a, how much, how much of this, um, the, this golden palm sugar is in there. And I, 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 I wanted to lay this out there because it wasn't about this product. I'm sure well, I'm not sure, but my, my guess is someone, some regulators looked at this and this is all fine, but what, what threw me aback was my immediate reaction to, oh my gosh, this seems like a really bad idea. And I, I, I wanted to like, I wanted to talk about that because I think that's not, that's something I'm trying to train myself not to do. <laughs> like, like, like there, the, you know, the, the, uh, this might be risky, but what, like I'm looking for risk in a place that it might not be actual risk. But my initial knee-jerk reaction is, whew, Moon Man Jam, coconut-based jam. I I would I, I would worry about this. And and so I, I wanted to like, I don't know. I want I wanted to talk through through that with you. Like, what's your initial res, uh, response when when reading that 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 paragraph? 
Yeah, I see why you're concerned. I, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, it's probably not for me. I don't really like the look yeah. of the packaging, but I also, I'd, I'd like to see uh, an ingredient label. I'd, li- I'd like to see the back of the package, you know? Um, I'm, I'm not finding it on their website. No, I did the same thing and I tried to, I basically found what the, what the stuff is, right? Like what, what they're selling. Um, but I guess the, the meta discussion that I wanted to have was how do we like what, what I want. And so the, I guess the frame of reference for this conversation is I gave, um, we, you know, we do this, uh, has variance regulator, um, uh, class and, and that you, we've talked about this on the show. We, we, I think we record, we, I know we recorded a show, this show at one of these classes in, uh, Washington. I think it was in Renton, Washington that we, that we recorded it. Um, you got to s- sit in on that class and, and over time I think about the philosophy of, of what I want to do with this class and how I, how I approach culinary food safety. And I, I taught this class online last week and realized that my, what I want to do, what my initial response is, is a yes. First, I want someone to come with this product and say, I'd like to make Kaya Ube Kaya jam, eight ounces, $10 from Moonman supplies. And, and, and I want to, my, my initial response, I want it to be is yes. And I'm going to try and help you make that product or figure out the best way to do that in a safe way. Not a, what I got this morning, which is what I like bothered me about. My response was, Ooh, I don't know about that. I want it to be yes, to understand the risk, not a no. So I look for the risk to throw up the barriers. And, and I, I, I feel like over the last few years, I've gotten much better at that, but it surprised me that my initial response was a no in my mind. And that was, I don't know. I don't know why that was, but it, it like, I don't know if it was the combination of, I don't know what, I don't know anything about coconut, coconut milk. I don't know if this is really quote jam with the water activity, all that stuff. Like I'm, I'm, I, I want to know more about it, but my, my concern was I was no first. Well, yeah, and I, I, I can understand that reaction, and I, you know, I, I would, I would have loved to have heard how the owner of Moon Man had worked with, uh, you know, since he's based in New York City, I would love how he would have worked with, let's say, Ann Vegdahl from from Cornell Cooperative Extension, who was based in Brooklyn, and a success story about how they helped him refine his process. Like, I would, I mean, that's not what the story's about, right? But, right. But I would have loved to have heard how he did this and how he how he made sure that he, you know, he, he's compliant with the regulations. And there is, if you look at the... <clears throat> If you look in the the uh, photos in the article, you can see one of the jars is turned a little bit, so you can begin to see a little bit of the label on the back. But but yeah, I, I would like uh, I would like to have a lot more information about what is what is in this and uh, et cetera. So yeah, and I guess what I'm hoping is that, and this is kind of the thing that 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 seems to be hit or miss as we do these classes and talk about this stuff. And I think risky or not has helped this. I I hope that there is a true like partnership between a regulator and a food entrepreneur who wants to make this stuff. And that, 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 that there's a, you know, a, a, what, what I learn more and more about as I get into this is that there's a lot of like 
not a lot of places, but you know, it's, it's hit or miss on some jurisdictions. Like, yeah, we don't even have people that make this stuff. And truthfully they do. They just don't know about it. Or we know that this exists, but it's kind of hard for us to work with them as a regulator. So we just tell them no, or we know that it exists and we just don't want to deal with it because it's hard to deal with. And, and I want to like, philosophically, I want to help move all that forward, right? Like I want it to be, yeah, there's a way to make this and there's a way it, it, like, and, and I'll give you like a really like an example of something that I worked with a restaurateur um, here in North Carolina back over the last couple of months, someone who wanted to make a, um, a, a, a tempered spice um, item. And I don't can't remember if we talked about this, but essentially it was an oil, like a spice, a dried herbs and oil. Pro, you know, product. And so first question on everybody's mind in the food safety world was what dried herbs and was there any garlic? Are we talking about a garlic and oil product? And so the, the operator dealt with two regulators, two different regulators on this. And that was where they started. And it was like really interesting to talk to the operator afterwards when she was like, why do you like, why did I get that exact same question from you and the two regulators? Like, what am I <laughs> Right. Huh. Like someone is trying to tell you something. <clears throat> yeah. What, like, what am I, what am I missing here? Why? And, and first of all, why do you guys all know about this? And, <laughs> and, 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 and her answer is like, no, there's no garlic. Like why stop asking me? Like you clearly don't know the type of product I'm trying to make. Cause it would be obvious if I described it to you that there would be no garlic in it. It's like, but you know, like not in a, not in a nasty way. It was a really great conversation, but it was really, like it was just interesting putting all of that into, into context and reading this today. It's like, I could see, I, I really hope that, that all of these types of products make it to market. And I hope that they're done in a safe way. And I hope that they're done in conjunction with regulators and folks like you and I, or an, and, and, and people all around, right? Like, and that, it, but, but also like, I want it to be, yeah, let's figure out a way to make this in a safe way. And it might be a different product in the end than what you're planning on, but that's what we have to do to make sure that it's, that it's safe. Not a, no, it's, you just like, we'll try and make another product because I think that's what turns entrepreneurs off and puts them underground and moves them to, to, to a, an area that we, that we can't help with, with a food safety discussion. So anyway, Oh yeah, I would definitely want to, want to help them for sure. Yeah. And that was it, like that was all the stuff that came through my mind at like seven forty five this morning when I read that paragraph, <laughs> right? Like the most bizarre thing. Um, also unrelated or maybe related. It's not food safety at all. I got myself a weighted blanket, Don. <laughs> and can I tell you that I sleep like like blackout sleep now with really? this? And that's yeah, not like a heavy weighted blanket that's like hot. I just got one because I've been reading about it and people love them. And so I got this like uh, one, one came up on Amazon that was will not cover our whole bed because Danny had no interest in a weighted right, blanket. Right. So I have like a half a sh and, and I like I'm waking up crazy rested and in a situation where like I, I woke up yesterday morning like not knowing what day it was, what time it was, where I was. And I'm, I, I can trace directly to this weighted blanket. Wow. Um, so yeah. So sleep, you want to sleep better. Um, if you're me, then, uh, get a, a weighted blanket. Anyway, that so, was like, so wait, I so, so, so I think people are going to want to know what weighted blanket you mm -hmm. got. So you should first of all, send me the details and we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. And then the, uh, related to this jam, um, ha have you considered just getting some? 
No, of course not. But now I now I have now <laughs> now I've considered because that's what I did with the squirrel jam. Remember we I'll, I, I ate I'll, I ate the squirrel I'll, jam. I'll send you some. No, uh, no, you don't need to. Get, no, I'll get it. Yeah, it's okay. a great idea. I should just get some of this jam and find out what's what it, what we got. I even have the ability to check water activity and, and pH. pH exactly. I got um you know I, there's there's stuff that I that I can do um so uh, real time follow up. Let me look at my um. Uh, Amazon account to tell you what, uh, what did I, what did I get? Orders, recent orders. Um, I got, uh, no, that's not it. Winthrome. I found there was like a, a code for this and I didn't get, um, I didn't want to spend a lot of money on it. So I got, it was, it was $50 off. It's a Winthrome weighted blanket twin size with duvet cover removable, which is what Danny told me I needed to get. Um, soft premium glass beads, heavy blanket for adults, individual 110 to 130 pounds. I'm not in that area, but I, I wanted to get, like, I wanted the one that was on sale to see if I liked it first to see if I wanted to really invest in it. So I think I got a, I think it was like $30 for this, oh, but wow. it's now available for $82. Oh, you got it on sale. Yeah, I got it on sale. There was a, like a code that I saw somewhere uh, that said, if you put this code in, you'll get $50 off. So can you send me, can you send me the Amazon link? I think I did. It? Oh, did you? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Great. It's in the, yep. it's in message. you got the okay, Awesome. Thank yep. you. Yep. Uh, so anyway, that, that that's probably uh, indirectly related to why I was uh, very well rested thinking about other things when I read about Moon Man this morning. <laughs> So there, so there, that's what I wanted to talk about. Wow. And that's, uh, oh, f uh, four, four adults, 110 to 130 pounds. The blanket Which, doesn't weigh 130 pounds. No, no. Okay. But the blanket weighs, I think I got the 11 pounds. It looks like I think it's 11 pounds. Yeah. yeah. I got the, I got the smallest, cheapest one. Uh, which is never what you're supposed to do, but I, I wanted to try it first. Yeah, so, I have I have kicked around the idea of because I am also interested in trying to sleep better. I wake up most nights in the middle of the night and sometimes get back to sleep. Um, most of the time, I get back to sleep. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, that's interesting. And did you are you and you're wearing your watch at night, right? I, I some sometimes sometimes okay, so I'm, I I would yeah. be very curious. Obviously, if you've slept well, that's great. I would be very curious to see what the watch says about how well you slept. Okay, because I, mean, I, I don't trust. Not that I don't trust you, but. I, I also want data. Yeah, yeah. I feel really good. Yeah, so well, that's the most, you, that's honestly, that's the most important thing, so. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm feeling like this, maybe in the, I, I might make up, wake up two or three times a night and and look at what time it is, and I, I haven't done that in the week that I've had this. Wow. That I remember. That wow, I, right? Wow. So, I'm, yeah. so, so I'm like, oh, falling asleep, gone. And then I'm waking up in a very refreshed way. And I'm now seem to be on like a pretty good internal clock. Like I think this is the, the, it's light in the morning I, about seven in between seven and seven ten. I just wake up naturally right now. Yeah. No, no alarm. So, and you're, uh, it's not too hot. No, I don't see. I don't find it too hot at all. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's light. It's cool. It says, yeah, it says that it says it right there. <laughs> it's in right the in the, right in the copy. Right in the comments. So it's cool. Uh, oh, yeah, wait, so I can, got yeah, that. Yeah, you can uh, get 65% off with the promo code. So There uh, it is. Get yeah. that. Use that. Use that promo code. That's what I that's what I did. Um so so we got some stuff. We got some feedback. 
Um, oh, we have we so much, we have so much feedback. So here's the thing, Ben. We're we're doing two podcasts that both get feedback, but on one of the podcasts, it's not designed for feedback. So we have to do all of the feedback on this podcast. So yeah. So where where do you want what what feedback do you want to talk about? Oh, uh, we can take it in whatever order you would like. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about um, the. Uh, there was a good one here about our question. One of the things we talked about on risky or not about putting, um, uh, uh, putting dishes away wet. <laughs> yeah. And where is it? I just saw, I just saw this. Yeah. So oh, there the, it is. Okay. Here, oh, I think I've yeah. got it. It's from Kel, right? Yeah. From Kel. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is from, this is feedback from listener Kel, uh, who writes, uh, I enjoy listening to your podcast and I have some feedback about episode 116. The FDA food code doesn't allow wet nesting of clean utensils like cups and bowls. The utensil needs to be completely dry before they can be nested together. The code citation is 4-903.11B1. Thanks and keep up the good work. So yeah, I yeah. mean, I... Yes, thank you for that. <laughs> we, and, I, and, well, and that was like exactly the kind of thing that I think we were looking for right, in, right. to talk about. So that was, yeah, that's awesome. And we, we had a, a little bit of follow-up um, on this where um, this is this is the thing about the podcast uh, and the way that we post it. Sometimes we, we you know, the canonical question gets, gets posted. Um, people like to respond to the canonical question without listening to the podcast where we talk about it. Uh, and so people uh, often give us um, responses where it's like th- that wasn't the context of the, of the question, but it's also very helpful. And I appreciate that, that people do this. This one was exactly the like perfect. This is what we were kind of looking for. Well, yeah. And let's, um, let's just call out um, Brian Souders who said, you know, but, gr- <laughs> but grills that are greasy can catch on fire. I'm like, yes, we talked about That's, that on the podcast and he's like, it's too long. I'm like, not this podcast. This is the short one. <laughs> It's right in the show it's notes. Too- anyway, whatever. It's fine. I, I'm, right, right, right. So, sorry to never have had him as a listener. <laughs> well, he won't. Yeah, don't worry. He's not going to hear this. <laughs> but he did invite us to uh, to to some sort of uh, a social get-together that we haven't participated in because I didn't know I was invited. Oh, no. We talked about this on, on Facebook Messenger, which is where I go yeah. for all of my important messaging needs. So. <laughs> Excellent. Anyway, oh, thanks spe- for Cal- speaking of people who like to communicate by Facebook Messenger. Um, I, I I did uh, reach out to Gordon and Andrew, and we had a very nice uh, Zoom cocktail hour with them. So oh, uh, completely unrelated. Uh, f- uh, former uh, former 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 guest, previous past guest on this show, uh, Gordon Hayburn and his lovely partner Andrew Clark. And we do love uh, when. I don't know, like we haven't looked at the analytics, but we do get a lot of feedback when, when Gordon is on. Oh, we, we, people, people love Gordon. Yes. And Andrew. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. So, um, next. Oh, wait. So did you, so did you, do you have any interest in reading the exact citation in the code? Uh, I'll, I'll read. Yeah, it to, I'll read it to you. Okay, please so, do. Please so do. Go ahead. I, I have now found four nine zero three point one one um, equipment utensils, linens, and single service and single use articles. Okay, and B one says clean equipment and utensils shall be stored as specified under A of this section and shall be stored colon one in a self draining position that allows air drying and covered or inverted. So it doesn't. It doesn't actually say. They can't be put away wet. 
what it says is they have to be stored in a self-draining position that allows air drying. Mm. Okay, so okay. let's. So I'm just going to nuance that a little bit and uh, and dither because um, this is the show where we can do that. Oh wait, no, yeah. So, so it says so. Section A says in a clean, dry location, right, where they're not exposed to splash dust or other contamination, at least six inches off the floor. So so you can't put them into a wet location. But apparently, I would I would interpret this as you can put them away wet as long as they are in a self-draining position that allows air drying, right? And so, for example, when I put my bowls away and I put them away uh, bowl, bowl side up, right? Bowl side up. Um, that is going to not, that is not going to uh, be self-draining, right? They have to be bowl, they have to be bowl side, eat, eating side down, bottom side up, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Covered or um, inverted. So yeah, scattered, so, smothered, and covered. <laughs> scattered, smothered, splattered, and stacked. Uh, yeah. So, so, I mean, and but, but, and, and I guess I like, Ultimately, what we talked about on the podcast was whether it was whether it was risky or not. And I think we we both kind of like regulatory wise, this four nine oh three eleven, um, it, it talks about like I don't know if it's risk related, right? Like the, the, the this idea because it's it, this it is already assumed that it's cleaned and sanitized correctly in this B because it says clean equipment and utensils, right? Um, so. Good, but that's a good, yeah, good. Cal, thanks for uh, thanks for the feedback. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 exactly the kind of feedback that we we like to hear. People that know the code and can can quote it back to us is that's fantastic. Yeah. So okay, I want to move to something else, and this came sure. um, from uh, listener to Sean John, who who's uh, hit us up on Twitter before, and we talked about his uh, his messages. I don't, I can't remember what we called them because we used to call people like deep deep something. Um, but anyway, this is from deep John, deep, deep, deep John Kimball, uh, who said, share all details freely. So, so he, uh, he writes, and this goes back a little bit, but I, I want to talk a little bit about trace the, the FISMA traceability rule for a while. So he writes, Hey guys, thanks for all, as always for giving us a little window into your world and presenting food safety in an approachable way. I think I had reached out a few months back about the traceability rule and was wondering about the rationale behind the food traceability list. Don, you had mentioned you were part of the group who developed the risk ranking model for traceability list, if I recall correctly. And I think you were part of the review team, right? I, I think that was um, – but anyway, I'll get you to talk about that in a second. Yeah. He, yep. he said, I admittedly haven't been listening to podcasts as actively since March 2020, so I may have missed it. But if you haven't already covered this subject, maybe you can cover it. Why is something like almond butter included on the food traceability list but not something like soy nut butter? Almonds in particular have federal mark have a federal marketing order in place that mandates all domestic almonds be pasteurized treated before sale. The peanut butter industry also has been hit in the past by recalls, as you know. And as such, I think they do a great, great job at minimizing whether uh, minimizing risk with, uh, with their current program programs. But I feel like there are more often issues with products like tahini, which are often imported, and soy nut butters have had some significant issues as well as historically, as you're aware. Does it come down to smaller volumes of consumption or or less total illnesses due to smaller sale volumes? Thanks for your insight. So, do you want to do you want to talk about this? And and I think it also relates to another piece of. Um, uh, feedback that, that we got from from someone else, um, which is also in here, but I can't remember how much of this we can talk about. So, 
Right. And so I, I reached out to friend of all of our podcasts now that he's retired, um, uh, Mickey Parrish. Uh, and I'm going to, I think, I think I'm allowed to mention who he is. Cause I mean, he just, he just looked stuff up on the internet, right? I mean, anybody can yeah. do that, but, but, uh, so Mickey used to be at FDA. Um, and, uh, he does have some insight here. He was involved in some early efforts here. And then he mentions another individual who we will not name, um, um, who is actually actively working in this and we could follow up and get more information from, from th that individual. But basically, uh, he said he looked at the list and he didn't see almond butter per se, but the category of nut butter and salmonella ranked quite high. So, so, he, so he, he is sort of, I guess, uh, saying something contrary to John saying, look, it looks like nut butters are listed and, and they come relatively high. Um, and then he talks about the general concept model, um, uh, and we'll link, we'll link to that. And then, and the criteria for that general concept model included frequency of outbreaks, severity, likelihood of contamination, potential for growth, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and again, that was developing that framework at, at a FDA contract to IFT was, was part of what I was, was part of. Um, and then uh, he says, uh, also, you can send the question to the FISMA TAN, the Technical Assistance Network, but a quick question to the individual that mentioned before would be much faster. He says there's a fair amount of info on the FDA website on the food traceability list. And so we'll link to all three of those uh, those points that, that Mickey raises in his, his response to us. And then he also says at the end of his message... Uh, I was working on a response to your risky or not question about whether FISMA requires a firm to conduct validation studies. Uh, the quick answer is no. Uh, the longer answer is it depends and it's complicated and would require at least two beers to explain. Um, we also uh, reached out to uh, to Mickey and, and Ronnie and had a, a cocktail hour with them, but I don't I didn't take notes, so I don't remember if we talked about it. So anyway, but it was very good to catch up with uh, a friend of the, uh, of the podcast, uh, Mickey Parrish, retired FDA. Excellent. Well, and and I do want to um, spend a little bit of time on the um, on the the meth like this risk ranking model for food tracing because I had a bunch of questions um, as well uh, from some like stakeholders here in North Carolina and, and across the country about like where fresh produce landed and I I want to we'll link to this I you know for people so let me let me ask you Don I think this um, uh, August twenty twenty. Uh, here, let me let me drop the link. And this is again, I think from um, from Mitzi's uh, or Mitzi from uh, 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 Mickey's um, email. Th this methodological approach for developing a risk ranking model for food tracing is this. Were you part of this document? Because this one has. I don't. Uh, wait. No, I don't think so. No, okay. So you should the we uh, this one I couldn't see your name in here. So um anyway, it's a really I found this really useful to read through and I know like let talk about like dry um <laughs> talk about a, like a dry approach uh in writing. I actually really like this paper. It's 63 pages long, but it goes through exactly how scores were derived and what was applied like it walks through like everyone who's kind of asked how to how did fda arrive at these scores it's literally in this document so it's out sort of laid out there for you to 
agree with or disagree with, but it's, it's not behind some sort of closed door. Like I understand after reading this, how the food traceability lists and the, and the, um, uh, they also refer to it as like food hazard pairs, how those risk ranking model for commodities and uh, risk ranking model for food tracing results for commodity hazard pairs, where it came from. And, and so again, like I, whether, whether I agree with the score and the weighting isn't the issue, but it is all sort of explicitly how it, how it works. So it's like those three documents, I think all have to be looked at in conjunction, conjunction with each other. You can't just look at one uh, on its own. Right. Oh, and I will say, so searching for my name in the in the article, which is always a fun thing to do, um, there is reference five is Bouchard and Schaffner and Versar, and Versar is a, is a Beltway Bandit uh, consulting company, expert consultation on risk ranking model for product tracing, data review and response. And so I was, uh, I don't remember the specific details, but I was part of that, um, uh, that effort. And so that's, you know, so, so yeah. And so it is to a certain extent, it has been, it has been vetted or at least, at least that was part of the whole, the whole process. FDA was very, I mean, and if FDA is nothing, if not thorough and deliberative, right? In fact, sometimes you can argue that they're a little bit too deliberative and a little bit too thorough and they need to move quicker sometimes, but that is not uh, what they, what they do. But this, but this whole idea of the scoring scale of zero, one, three, and nine, um, is that risk is not linear. And that is, uh, indeed, uh, part of what we developed at FDA and I'm trying to I'm trying to find the maybe I should search for FDA because I know there was a a project that I was involved with uh, that yeah so contracts with RIT and IFT provided technical assistance um, and I know that uh, I was part of the IFT uh, the IFT group that that did some of that work to develop the preliminary uh, yeah, we sought additional input on food classification schemes from an external expert panel, the first of two panels convened by IFTRTI. And the experts evaluated two different classification schemes, um, uh, which could be applied. Yeah, so, so it's, a very, it's a very detailed. And yes, yeah, so if you really like this kind of thing, for sure, you can look at this, this incredibly uh, detailed process and see how they got where they needed to get with it. Yeah, and and to John's question now, you know, this, this is one where I'll I'll just walk through the scoring. So he was asking about nut butter, and so there, w the way that um, that FDA looked at this is they said they you know listed this as uh, nut and nut products. They said okay, with nut butter we have uh, numerous hazards, so listeria, mycotoxins, aflatoxins, norovirus, salmonella. Um, Staph aureus um, and enterotoxin and shigatoxin uh, producing E. coli, and and basically said, okay, for each of these hazards, let's walk through a series of seven criteria, um, and the I'll, I'll go through them here just briefly, and then sort of say why I think nut butter ends up on this list. So criteria one is frequency of outbreaks and occurrence of illnesses. Uh, two is severity of illness, taking into account uh, a, a, of illness duration, hospitalization, mor uh, mortality. Three is likelihood of contamination. Four is growth potential with consideration of shelf life. Five, manufacturing process contamination probability and industry-wide intervention. Uh, six, consumption. And seven, cost of illness. So all seven of those things factor into this um, – like into this score. And, and so the way that the scoring shakes out for, um, for salmonella specifically in nut butter as a category is it gets a high 
which is a score of nine for frequency. Um, it gets a high of nine for severity of illness for salmonella. It gets a three um, for um, likelihood of contamination. It gets a zero for growth potential. It gets a three uh, or sort of medium for um, manufacturing process and industry-wide intervention, and then nines for consumption and cost of illness. And so that's what, like all of it plays together into this con- in, in this um, uh, scoring. And so it ends up with this like risk score that you can figure out exactly what you know what that means relative to other things of 420. But they go through like exactly why in in each of these. So I I, I don't know. I, don't, I appreciate kind of where. Um, where FDA is coming from. And I was able to walk through a couple of stakeholders like that were kind of not arguing, but they were like, well, how did they come up with this? And I was like, well, here's how this it's all laid out here. Right. And, so. and what is, what's really interesting. And, and, and yeah, and this is, this is, I, this is all flashing back to the work that I did with IFT, which, which was, was definitely, you know, was, was, was some of what FDA considered in doing this, but then how do you, what's in equally interesting. So, so coming up with the the things that need to be ranked and ranking them that's a that's a separate problem in and of itself but then once you get all of that how do you put this together right do you get so you get these seven numbers and you add them or you multiply some of them right and so so ex- exactly figuring out how exactly how you how let's say frequency and severity combined you do you add, right. you add those? Do you multiply them? Right. I mean, it's it's really complicated, and and you do have to do a little bit of checking, right? Like you you need to. I mean, and so on the one hand, you're making this tool. On the other hand, you don't want to just say, well, okay, does it does it makes does it give the answers that experts would give, right? Because if you need if if that's the case, then you just ask the experts, right? So it's right, it's, right. You need both. You need you need both the expert process to say, okay, if I put these inputs in, these are the outputs I get out. Does that make sense to you as an expert? And can you explain, like you just did, you did to the stakeholders, right? Like, can you explain why something ranks the way it does using these attributes? But then figuring out how once you score all these attributes, how you even put it together. That and and that that equation must be somewhere in this document. But it, it's it but, is. But it's but yeah. It's, but it's that's that's that and that is just as important as 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 the data, right? The, the, the model for combining the data, I would say, is equally important to the data themselves. Yeah. And, and this is where I really want to highlight looking at the outputs in the model at the same time as how the how they arrived at it is important in this. Like it's the just looking at that list without the context, I think is problematic. And I'm going to drop, so, like you asked about the equation. You're going to love this. It's coming in your, um, it's, it's, it's sitting in your, in your text, uh, little chat uh, here now. Yep. And it's like, so, but that's it. Like they, they explain it like this. And so it, it took me in getting these questions and from John, we've had it from a couple other folks. It took me a while to get right into this. Like I had to, like, I, you know, I dedicated a, a morning to be like, I, I don't know. You know, great question. I don't know how they came up with it. I, let me read this this document. And it it helped me really understand it more. And again, not just, you know, just like so many things in science, there's there's things I could I, I can disagree with on waiting on on thresholds, but they're there, right? Like they you can draw a direct line between this 420 that they list for nut butter and salmonella back to 
uh, the the whole process. Like I know where it came from. Yep. It's not in a in a in a black box, which was really really helpful. Yeah, and so. yeah, and so and the equation will simplify it for people. But basically, what you do is for each of those seven criteria, you have a weight that is assigned to the criteria, and then you have a score for the food and the hazard, right? And you multiply those together, right? And then and then you for each of the the seven criteria, you get, you get that multiplication and then you add them up. Right. Yep. And so that's how you do it. And they give you a worked example, um, where it shows how you do it. And so you can, and you can reproduce that for anything. And the nice thing about having a formula like this is if something changes, if your knowledge changes, well, you can just plug it in and change it. And that was, and I think that that is really a great, it is potentially, it's a good tool for FDA and it has the potential to be an ongoing great tool because as you learn more, you can move in things up and down this list and as FDA's priorities should change. If you learn something new, then the priorities should shift. And here is a, again, you're still gonna have judgment involved, but you're gonna have a more objective way of deciding where to focus the, because again, the agency has limited resources, right? And so they've gotta focus their attention and this is one way of deciding how a portion of that attention is gonna be focused. Right, right. and. And, you know, coming back to the statement that I butcher all the time that um, all models are wrong and some are useful. Um, I think you got it right this time. Yes. Excellent. Um, This is it's a model, right? Like that's the thing is it is what we're the the tricky part is that. It, it, the model is how we develop the list of what needs to be traced, right? <laughs> like that. So, so it has actionable outcomes because there are certain things that are on this list that have now regulatory focus. And there are certain things that are not on this list that don't, but it is, it, it, it really is a, I, I, I for all the time that I kind of have trouble talking through an FDA process this time. I really get how they came up with the list and, 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 and that it is risk-based and it is based on this model that, that is not perfect, but yeah, it, all of it, it was, you know, it, so, and I'll give you the example, Don, that, that, that started some of this for me was how, um, Raw agriculture leafy greens, so so like uh, a um, uh, where this will be b- basically raw agriculture leafy greens and fresh cut leafy greens have two different scores. Yep. For salmonella, for instance, um, and and so it's uh, four hundred and thirty for raw agriculture. Um, oh, hang on. I skipped over this. Uh, sorry. It's 350 for raw agriculture, leafy greens, and then cut produce, salmonella, um, what is, uh, fresh cut leafy greens was 390. So it's, it's a little more, um, uh, you know, it, it has a higher score and you can kind of follow the line on where that is. And it, and it has to do with, um, if I'm remembering, correctly it it has to do here with um the uh, uh i think it's like the industry-wide interventions some you know something so, like that so yeah. and uh, are you reading those numbers from this document this pdf i'm reading no i'm reading those from a different document that you really have to look at i will drop that to you 
Um, that was in th- this is the the output um, right for uh, like that that's being used to put things on on the list. Got it. So this one goes through and and you could go like I don't know how many you know table one here there's there's got to be like it's thirteen pages eighty you know ninety different food uh, hazard combinations yep. that each have gone through the process uh, so so it allows folks to say okay this is how we based our our decisions on what goes on the list and what doesn't and these are this is everything on the list yep so it it doesn't have stuff that's not on the list. Correct. So, uh, but I guess you could figure out why something is higher on the list. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then there's another list on that you'll enjoy. <laughs> there's a third list and this is the complicating part, right? Right. So, so the, so the first thing is how we develop the model and all the unlocking it. The second thing that we'll link to in show notes is here's what it looks like individually for pathogens and by pathogen for commodities. And now the third one is here is a commodity. commodity Let's look list. at all the yeah. Uh, look, right. look at all the pathogens together. Right, oh, which is a shorter list. It's a shorter list because it takes yeah. So it 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 um, there's another equation calculation to put all of the commodity the all the hazards together under one commodity. Right. So this is where like people get upset. I think right. So you've got here fresh cut vegetables, leafy greens, 430 fresh cut or produce, raw agricultural commodity, leafy greens, 390. And, and the argument that, that was kind of made or that not made, but discussed was that, well, the fresh cut stuff, this is from, from the folks that I talked to about this fresh cut has an intervention of, uh, cleaning and sanitizing. Why is it riskier than a raw agricultural commodity. And, and it's, it, there's a nuance to that it's not that it's riskier. The risk score is based on consumption patterns and it's based on history. It's not just based on that one intervention criteria. So you, you have to take all of those things into account. And that's how it got to two different scores for the same product. Right. Is it the same product? Well, it's not the same product, but it's the same commodity. It's thing, but it's how I get it is a bagged fresh cut leafy green versus a raw, like a whole head of lettuce leafy green. So it's, it's not, it's not the same product, but it is the same commodity. All right. So I go to my local grocery store. Okay. Yep. I'm with you. Um, I'm with you. What does the 430 look like? And what does the 390 look like? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but but I, I know that they're both on – and I think the nuance of the difference between 430 and 390 doesn't matter. What I know is that both of them now fall under the requirement for tra- food tracing. Okay, but they are the same thing. Produce fresh cut leafy greens versus produce rack leafy greens fresh cut. I don't understand how – that I, they're different or the same. They're, they are not the same. So again <laughs> – Tell me what they look like in the grocery store, right? Like I understand, I understand why head lettuce is different than, I I understand why a head of romaine is different than, than fresh cut romaine that's in a a box or a bag, right? Right. But these both say fresh cut. 
Yeah, I don't know. I like okay. I, the, the yeah, this is the part that I don't actually know the the answer to. Okay. All right. Yeah. So but, uh, but it's, we'd probably know I, Jennifer McIntyre probably knows the answer. Well, yeah, but like I think it has to do with what we're talking about here is there's got to be something different in the consumption. There's got to be something different. It, it may not what you're what you're thinking about is what do I see in the grocery store? And it might not be that at all. It's which of these come through food service? What do the consumption patterns look like? Yeah. Well, the, what are the, like? Oh, yeah. The commodity categories are different, right? Yes. So that there, what's the difference between fro- produce fresh cut and produce rack? Where the com- greens, where fresh it's, cut. yeah, where it's fresh cut, right? I mean, that's the problem. Is yeah. you can, yeah, and I, and I don't understand the difference between. I fresh cut and I understand between fresh cut and rack, but if you take the rack and you cut it and it's fresh cut, I don't understand how it doesn't fall into the other category. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe someone can help us. (laughs) (laughs) Probably Um, the person that, that uh, Mickey mentioned that works at FDA. Yeah. Well, we know some of the, some of those people we do Uh, too. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So next, uh, next little bit of, of follow up here. Um, we, we had a really, um, we, we had an interesting conversation back and forth about, um, about sous vide and fish, right? So do you want to yes. talk through this? This is, this is, um, you know, I mean, this, this one has everything. It's got the Skinner Larkin curve. It's got ROP. It's got cook. It's got the, yeah, it, it's got it all. So, so let's let let's kind of set the stage here. We got an we got an email. Um, well, you got an email uh, from someone who who I've worked with a little bit um, in a state. I, you know, I don't think we want to put his uh, full out information out, but it's in a in a state relatively close to where I live. Who, who had some questions about sous vide cooking of fish and validation of validation data. So uh, he writes. Um, uh, someone who at FDA referred me to you, this is speaking to you, Don, as a resource uh, for information addressing the control of Clostridium botulinum types B and F in sous vide cooking. Here's the description of the process as proposed by some of our retail chefs. Um, so, uh, you know, make sure, stop me if, if I'm uh, being uh, messy and we're not able to follow the thread. But fish is portioned, frozen and stored frozen in covered containers. On day of use, Portioned and frozen pieces are placed into standard ROP bags with other ingredients and either immediately placed into a 145-degree bath for cooking or held in an ice bath until needed for cooking. In both cases, product is thawed in the cooking bath and cooked to 145 on receiving the customer's order and served immediately after cooking. So the question is, what scientific data could you direct me to that would support this approach of sous vide cooking for fish? And really, what I think the question is, safely, right? Like that would right. support that this is a safe process, right? So yeah, so there, so that's the that you know, fish frozen, sitting portion, ready to go, put it in the bag, either keep it in an ice bag or ice bath, or drop it directly into the immersion circulator and cook it. So is that? Yeah, you know, not not is it risky or not, but is it a safe process, and what kind of data do we have? Right, and so my response was, uh, and there's a couple more back and forth here, but my response is so, and this I where I bring you into it as well, because if if I'm going to go down for giving somebody botulism, I'm bringing you with me. Then I'm in. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, if I understand what you're asking, it sounds like the first scenario immediately placed into a 45 degree bath for cooking poses a negligible risk since the cooking time is relatively short. Um, although you haven't specified a cooking time, right? The second scenario is a bit more complicated held in an ice bath until needed for cooking, especially if you've not specified a holding time. If we assume that the ice bath is zero degrees F, uh, uh, 32F, zero degrees C, we can use this, the Skinner-Larkin model to predict the time to toxicity as a measure of risk. I've, I gave him a copy of the, the article, and you can see from figure one, the model predictions do not go much below five degrees C. However, the time, uh, and I dictated this obviously because the, the words are not right, the time to not talk in production, but toxin production, even at five degrees C is on the order of days. So, you know, I'm assuming that this is not going on in this restaurant for days. So this is a relatively safe practice. Of course, devil's in the details. The company needs a HACCP plan. They need to, to document that they're, 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 the temperatures are what they think they are, and they're, they're controlling them appropriately, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think like this, it's a bigger, this conversation is a bigger issue that, that I think you and I have, have talked about, and, and I'll, I'll paraphrase something that you said in a previous episode where it's like people get really nervous as soon as you put food in bags and pull a vacuum, right? Especially like, it, fish. It, especially fish. And it runs back to my my immediate – like just the threat of the day for me is the – like this is bad. No, let's not do it without sort of thinking through the, through the process of what's happening. But that knee-jerk reaction of just don't – we can't – there's not a possible way to do this. And – and in like the your your response, and really this is where you know, shout out to to Guy Skinner and John Larkin for the Skinner Larkin uh, curve and study. Um, that it, it gives this like here's the starting point. This is it, this really. It's it's not a no. There, we got it, time and conditions matter uh, for this. So so let's 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 like walk sort of walk through this. And, and so anyway, we got to this really like great spot where, um, you know, the uh, person who asked said, I'm, I'm on target citing these two tables from seafood hazards and controls guide. If the cooking critical limit time and temperature selected from table a four, the product is bagged above 135, properly cooled and held refrigerated for no longer than seven days. Then the product should be considered safe and the process could be approved. And it's like, yeah, refrigerated a whole time, no longer than seven days for sous vide and RP, not an option. Um, and then the validations are there in, in Skinner Larkin. So it, it was, it was like a really, I don't know, it was a cool back and forth to get to like, yeah, this is there, there is data out there and it's, it doesn't always have to be a no. And it's a little more nuanced than, um, than fish in bags bad. Well, and, and the, and the code, the code does not help here, right? Because no. one yeah. thing that the code says is fish must be frozen before, during, and after ROP packaging, right? Well, really? It must be? No, I don't think so. It doesn't have to be frozen before. I mean, certainly it's safe if it's frozen before, during, and after. But honestly, if you're if you're if you're keeping everything down around zero, right? Uh, C five uh, below five, you've got days of time, right? And so where where I think that people are worried is, well, what if I I, I ROP something and I stick it in the back of a freezer a refrigerator something that's at five and it stays there for months maybe it's risky but i yeah. i think the the code is is really overkill right like like again to if you look at the skinner larkin model 
and you think about four degrees C for weeks, yeah, you've got risk. But four degrees C for weeks is not the same as two degrees C or zero degrees C for days or hours, right? And so I, so this this idea that the code says fish must be frozen before, during, and after ROP packaging is it's insane. It's 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 well, it, it's not it's not risk based. It's it's overly overly conservative. It's um, the you know again to borrow all the right um, wording and and sayings from our other favorite podcasts. It's like solving for X when we really need to solve for Y because the the reason why it's there is that there's. There's nowhere in the code that says if I have, you know, fish or, um, or like raw fish or raw meat that I, I have to date market. Like I really literally, and this is, this is the problem, like this is the problem, right? It gives me a very linear approach, but I could put and follow the code correctly. I could put my fro like without, without having this frozen piece in there that, that I agree is like super, super conservative. But I, I, if I, if that wasn't there, then I could bag my, my, um, salmon and put it in my walk-in at 41 below for eternity. Right. Like there isn't another way to handle it. Right. Or, or no, no, I shouldn't say that. There are lots of other ways to handle it. The way that it was chosen to handle it was by saying, no, let's put a stop measure here. That is super, super conservative. Because I can't, I'm not dealing with it just specifically in storage for this type of product, which is it, 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 it's not in perpetuity. It's, it's something based on the, um, the Skinner Larkin, uh, model. Right. And, 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 and again, and you, you shared, uh, Jonathan's, um, response just a little while ago, which is sort of the top of the top of the message, the, mo the end of the message where he says, okay, so we, we, we cite, uh, seafood hazards and controls guide and we, we cite, uh, 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 the, the, you know, sections of the code table four, a, in the seafood yep. manual and the Skinner Larkin, it's like, yeah, you're, you're golden, right? Because now yes, exactly. the code says this, which is admittedly ridiculous and you want a variance. So here's the, here's the scientific evidence in support of the variance. Why, uh, 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 bagged at greater than 35, properly cooled and held refrigerated less than 41 for no longer than seven days, refrigerated time, uh, 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 let's see, refrigerated hold time longer than seven days for sous vide and ROP cook chill is not an option. Uh, and you, and again, you, you cite these citations and you're good to go. Right. So, and, and that, which is exactly right. And, 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 and we, and we didn't even, well, we, and, and Jonathan came up with it himself, right. <laughs> he didn't, we, we just sort right, of right. led him there by, by sort of saying, well, you know, this is, this is, this is this, and this is that. Right. And, and I think that this is like it, the, this is why we have a variance process, right? Like this is the right, this is the greatest approach is the, let's the, the, the food code gives us the starting point that is overly conservative. If you can give me data, I got a process that I can let you do that thing. Well, that you want to do. But I would say we also have a conference for food protection and we can yeah. also chip away at parts of the code that are ridiculously conservative, right? Like, and I, I'm not yes. sure I want to fight that fight because uh, I don't think FDA is willing to back down on this, but I think you could, you could argue for changes to that particular egregious sentence in the code that would give operators a little bit more flexibility that would still be highly conservative that still wouldn't wouldn't approach what Jonathan is asking for here but that would be better than must be frozen before during and after right 
Right, right. Well, and and I think you know, there's the um, and you know, friend of the friend of the show and friend of ours, Brian Numer, has done a really good job in the world of ROP and sous vide and cooking and getting that change in the in the code. Like if we go back to the 2009 food code that we operate here um, archaically under in North Carolina, um, it doesn't allow for you know, sort of this sous vide cooking 48 hours afterwards. Like there's, there's now wording in the 2013 and 2017 code that, that really with data shows we don't have to be as conservative if you're going to stick within 48 hours, right? Like it's, it's peeled it back a little bit, but not everybody has that, um, that ability to, to apply that, that version. So you're, yeah, you're right. Like there's, there's a variance that gives you the immediate addressing and hopefully this, you know, this is part of our, you know, the little part that I play in this is training folks to be able to assess this, this risk as a regulator and working with the industry to make sure that they, they are able to do it. And we've we can work on it on the back end with the much slower turning of the, uh, you know, of the big barge of a conference for food protection, <laughs> the, the meat barge. I think that's uh, meat barge is what we should, uh, we should call it. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is great, and and I mean, this not, not something that we can we yeah you know, we're allowed to learn and equivocate and have lots of extra time here on this on this show, right? Uh, on this show, so so here's uh, just staying with this because this this actually segues into another piece of follow up that I want to mm-hmm. um, talk talk about. This one um, it actually came to us for risky or not, um, but I think we want it's in it's here, so I think we want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, listen to the episode about vacuum bag fish defrosting episode. Um, this one comes from, uh, well, I don't think it's necessary to say who. Hi, I listened to the episode and I was curious about your take on other vacuum sealed foods like pork or ground beef or we buy in bulk and it's generally frozen and defrosted in the bag. 99% of the time it's defrosted in cool water in the fridge and only an hour or two like that. The other time it might make a larger piece of pork sirloin. Um, and defrosted under vacuum for a day or two in the fridge. Are there are any of these three scenarios risky? Smaller portions of meat in the water quickly defrosted, smaller types of meat defrosted quickly in water overnight, and three overnight uh, to a few days for large or two to three pounds of roast style piece of pork. Um, the main concern is botulism. So, yeah. So what are your what are your thoughts on this? Right, yes. not fish. Similar process, different foods. Yeah, so my response is that the three practices, at least at the time I read the message and, and responded, would be to say not not risky. Um, and the reason why is that red meats are typically so so seafood is associated with um, non proteolytic. Uh, Clostridium botulinum type B and E. I think I've got that right, and we'll we'll find the details for show notes. Um, whereas uh, meat, other meats like um, uh, beef and pork and chicken are associated. If they are associated, are associated with Clostridium botulinum proteolytic types of Clostridium botulinum A and B. And so the proteolytic is is not is neither here nor, nor there. Although the proteolytic ones tend to, because they're proteolytic, they tend to make nasty smells versus the non-proteolytic ones, which don't. The non-prot uh, B and E and, and F, I think, as well, tend to be 
psychotrophic or, or able to better grow at low temperature conditions. The good news is that the spores of those organisms are less heat resistant. And so it's easier to kill those spores, but if you don't kill them, they'll grow better in, in under cold conditions versus, um, the proteolytics, which are hard to kill, right. But, uh, don't really like to grow under very low temperature conditions. And so those are more problem with processed meats that are improperly processed, don't inactivate the spores, and then are held at ambient temperature in a food that has a high pH, high water activity, um, uh, and, and, and then the spores can grow, right? And so, so I think that as outlined, I mean, the, sm the smaller portions in water quickly defrosted, fine. Smaller, quickly defrosted in water or overnight, uh, also probably fine. Again, if we're talking about defrosting in the refrigerator and thinking about the Skinner Larkin model and thinking about even for the, you know, cause th that's that model, let's just take a minute and talk about that model, right? That model was basically looking at the entire literature and then looking at n all of the uh, look primarily looking at temperature and then finding the worst case. What's the lowest temperature at which we see time to toxin production, right? And then, and so you see this, again, take a look at the paper. You see the scatter of points and then you just draw a line around the edge of the points and anything that's above the edge is, is unsafe and anything below the edge is safe, right? And so you can, for a given temperature, you can find a time. And again, so, so uh, refrigeration, it's roughly seven days. So, so overnight is less than seven days, right? And then uh, overnight to a few days, um, uh, is still less than seven days. And so I'm going to say, I'm going to say also not risky, but again, the devil's in the details. It really depends upon the temperature of your refrigerator. We're going to assume that you have a, a temperature in your refrigerator that you know, and that you can control. Unlike my refrigerator, which is giving me fits because it is just a piece of crap and I'm so angry and I want to get a new one badly. It mostly, our fridge, it's the freezer temperature, although the, the refrigerator also um, messes up. So anyway, um, uh, don't get me started, except I've already started. So that's my, that's my, my rant and why I would conclude um, not risky, although I guess we could have theoretically taken this as a new question for risky or not. Well, whatever. We're doing it here. I, mm -hmm. I want to come back to the in the sink overnight. Okay, sure. Right? Oh, is that what he said, in the sink? Yeah, so this is, now it wasn't super clear in in the initial, but it was in the two in the uh, too long didn't read part of this. Oh, okay. So, so I think that that one. Let me let me uh, let's let's let me go back to the actual question. So, um, um, item number two is smaller types of different meat defrosted quickly in water or overnight, and I couldn't tell if. This was like, this just might be me not misreading this. Is that quickly in water one to two hours or overnight in the refrigerator? Because oh. if it's right. So if it's, if that's the reading then I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. Like there, all the stuff that you just said, if it is defrosted quickly in water overnight in, in my sink or in a bowl of water, I actually think that that gets us to this like, well, I might be looking at close to 20 degrees Celsius, you know, for some amount of time, you know, six or eight hours. I, I now think that we're getting dangerously close to, uh, to being under the, the Skinner Larkin curve or over it or whatever, 
wherever the good spot is. <laughs> I think I want it to be the, like, I, I think under is where, so I, I think that that might become problematic. So I just want to clarify smaller types of different meat defrosted quickly in water, you know, quit one to two hours, no problem or overnight in the refrigerator. No problem. Right. And I would say, and again, this is an old paper and I think the model has been updated and realized this is time to toxin production. And so, uh, and it's, and it's given in days, but basically any, if you get, if you get up to 25 degrees, right, that time, that, that space under the curve is, is vanishingly small. Right. And so you, you can, you can get toxin production in a day at room temperature. Right. And so my, my, my assumption is that the message the, 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 the writer of the message was talking about in the refrigerator. If they're talking yeah. about on the counter, that's a, that's a different, that now I think we're well, getting into, to, uh, some country as, as, as Merlin <laughs> Mann said. And, yes. And, and it's like, and I want to highlight, it's probably, it's not on the counter. It's submerged in water. Right. So, well, so the, but, but, but the water is at room I, temperature, right? I mean, I got exactly. Yes. But I, there's nothing magic about submerging it in water. Like I wanted to oh, like uh, versus highlight air. That. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could put ice in the water. It, I, it's good. The, the water is going to buffer the temperature change a little bit more, but yeah, there's nothing magic about the water for sure. Yeah. 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 Which, um, and, and I think that, yeah, the, no, nothing else to add counselor. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Good, good, good. Okay. So let's, um, let's go to talk about something else. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, so, so this one, um, <laughs> this is our, our up from, from deep borscht. Uh, about uh, an episode that we did on risky or not of um, that, that might be not safe for work on um, get, you know, uh, the risk of getting uh, COVID from hookups, episode 119. So um, Deep Borscht writes, I have some probably not safe for worse unless you're in public health feedback on the COVID hookup episode. British Columbia CDC, the BC CDC, uh, which would be a great addition to FDA BCDC <laughs> yeah, plus segment. Yes. Ding, uh, and there are tips for COVID relationships found here. And so, um, Deep Borscht provides uh, a link. Um, note that a recommended practice is washing your body and hands with soap and water along with masks, but they also re- recommend <laughs> something else that I'm not going to say. Uh, it kind of blew up in the news when the article <laughs> came out. Uh, who knew that the public safety officers would recommend what was only reserved for well, and this I'm gonna it's call out deep borscht for something that people might be might be into, and who are we to judge? Exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe when uh, things go back to normal, we won't have a run on toilet paper, but on doors, on drywall to fix um, the COVID uh, um, hookup uh, places. So anyway, <laughs> let's just say holes that might be glorious. <laughs> yes, right, right, exactly. The word that I am, am, am avoiding here. So anyway, um, props to, to Deep Borscht. We'll link to this um, uh, this link. And I don't think I want to do this one for um, uh, ABC, CDC, FDA, plus BC, CBC, CDC, plus. But, uh, but we will. I barely got this. you to do the one that we did. So Exactly. Exactly. You could tell I'm, uh, I'm already in, in major blush mode. And I don't even know why I even uh, decided to take this one on. So, uh, but thanks. We will link to it in show notes for those who want to click on it. Not safe for work, but it is from public health people. 
Um, what else? What else do we have in here? Yeah, well, I, let me get this. So the 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 link is not working for me. Oh, okay. I just was. was oh, that is a very cute picture. <laughs> yes, of the two fingers kissing with wearing a condom. Um. So, uh, yeah. So let's 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 see what else. So you. So while we're while we're on the topic of uh, FDA BCDC plus, let's do an episode of um, MPIJKIWICDC plus. Okay. Yes. Uh, we gotta, I think we're so. we're going to workshop think. this one. So this this one comes from Jasper, um, on on uh, Twitter, and he says, uh. Uh, what, what, oh, I, I gotta, oh, damn it. Um, let me find the right thing to link. And, and then when you anyway, find it, you yeah. drop it, drop it for me so I yeah. can find it. So, uh, yeah, so he says, how about an edition of FDA? Yeah, so anyway, so he, so what he's got here is, give me a second here. We'll cut all this out. Um, so what is what is this? This is a uh, oh oh so right. So this who's he's he's asking us he's asking us to play our our fun game with a food safety message that has been given to us. And so I'm going to oh, yeah. put that I'm going to put that message. Whoops, I think I just sent it to you twice. So I'm going to put that it. message in chat. Uh, so this the the I'll, I'll read while well, read while well, I'll read out loud while you read silently, and then you you can give me your take on this. So. This is from the MPI. That's the Mission Ministry Mission Ministry for Primary Industries. Okay, which is the basically the I guess essentially you can say it's sort of the USDA FDA of New Zealand, right? Yes. Yep. Um, uh, the uh, which and it gets confusing because they have a Ministry of Primary Industries in Australia too because they they copy each other. Um, uh, okay, Lindsay Farm brand organic raw milk unpasteurized. 18 March 2021, Lindsay Farm is recalling specific batches of Lindsay Farm brand organic raw milk unpasteurized as the product may contain Campylobacter. Um, Consumer advice. Consumers are asked to check the lot number and use by date printed on the product. If you have purchased any of the affected product listed on this notice, do not consume it. Consumers should return the product to their retailer for a full refund. Alternatively, and I think this is where Jasper gets interested in this, alternatively, consume after heating to 70 degrees C and holding it at this temperature for one minute. If you don't have a thermometer, heat the, mim- the milk until it nearly reaches a boil, open parentheses, or scald the milk, close parentheses, before drinking it. Drinking it. So... I think that's that's what yep. Jasper is interested in. Is this yeah, yeah. this advice? Don't consume it. Return it, or you can do these other things. So yeah, what what's, what do you think? Yeah, so I let so okay. Let's uh, one one thing I want to highlight too the the actual um, the label of this Lindsay Farm organic raw milk is is linked to or provided by by MPI, and on the label. It reads, there's, there's a, uh, a warning message. Raw milk may contain harmful microorganisms that can cause serious illness. To reduce the risk of illness, raw milk should be heated to at least 70 degrees Celsius for one minute. This is critical for infants, young children, the elderly, pregnant women, and people with immune or with weakened immune systems. Um, stored at you know, four degrees Celsius, don't consume after the use-by date. A um, couple of things on this that... Uh, 
yeah, I, so the use by date on this, um, if we go into the um, in, into the document, it is uh, you know it confused me because the uh, how things uh, go in the U.S. and how things go with dates in uh, other parts of the world, it is listed as six three twenty twenty one, and I was like, whoa, June third twenty twenty one is a really long use by date for uh, milk, but obviously it's reversed. It is March sixth twenty twenty one, and up until. Um, you know, just, uh, to keep people in how, how current we are yesterday, um, uh, March 21st, uh, 2021. So they put this information out on the 29th or sorry, the 18th. So the, so there still certainly could be, um, uh, uh, milk in people's refrigerators really like, you know, interesting label. I thought this was really, this is interesting and immediately where, um, where Jasper, I think wants us to talk about is where my mind went this Hey, you've got a product that may have Campylobacter in it. Um, we, we know this. I, my my guess is we know this because it tested positive um, for Campylobacter. Because it also goes on to say there were no we, we there no been no report of illnesses right. um, a, a, about this. Right. So so there's some active surveillance. Campylobacter positive. And um, instead of you know returning it, you could consume it after after heating to seventy degrees. Well, I kind of follow like the this. label directions, right? Which is follow the label which, directions. Which is, this is yeah. not the label. This is not the label. This is the label for the recalled product, but this is also the recall for everything else they sell. Exactly, like all of the product says this. Yeah, it, you know, to reduce. So, I, yeah, um, I you know, I I think this is I think this is interesting. I like it. Um, I think the, if you don't have the thermometer, heat the milk until it ne- nearly reaches a boil is a little bit tough. Like I, I kind of know what that is. I know what it looks like when it reaches a boil because bubbles are coming. Is it nearly reaching a boil? The same as that. Like if, if I got it to boiling, I know I've gone too far. How do I not get it to almost a boil? I don't know. Like I, I would rather not have that message in, but I, but again, that's a practical situation, right? Like, are we excluding people who don't have thermometers from this, who may be drinking this milk by saying heat it to, to 70 and then don't give them a, any sort of qualitative tool. I, I, I kind of like this. I kind of like this. Um, I, I, you know, my, my, my suggestions would be to, to highlight you know, consumers should return the product to the retail for a full refund or follow the, the label directions, which say consume after heating to 70 degrees. But that's a little, I mean, um, it's a l- just a little tiny little, little suggestion and change. But I thought this was, this was quite, quite good. Yeah. And I, uh, the, the, like the nuance I would say is like, if you, if you always consume your raw milk uncooked, do not consume this particular batch, Right. That you should definitely return this if your intent is to consume it raw, right? Right. But and at the same time, the agency might also say, and we don't recommend. Although it's legal in this country, apparently, we don't recommend it, right? I mean, that's yeah, that's. I don't know. It's 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 yeah. It, that's the problem with a product like this, right? Which so, again, I think so you and I go. are both on on record in CC uh, Raw Milk Amsterdam. Uh, we're on record as saying that we think it should be possible to sell. I think I think that's what we decided in that episode, right? Yeah, yeah. With the with the thought that it, it the hardest part, and I'll, just to to rehash Raw Milk Amsterdam, where I'm coming at it is if someone called me in North Carolina to help them 
make this product safer because they were concerned about public health. I have a problem because it's illegal to sell it here in North Carolina. It's hard for me as a state person to manage something that is illegal. Yes. And, and it's, and so, yeah, yeah I'm a, yes, I think we're, we're on the same, on the same page here, um, for, for that. So what this, this leads me. So anyway, we, let's go ahead and give our, like, we haven't given our, 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 our grade here. What, what, what would you give this in, uh, M M P I C D wait, hang on. Let me, let's M P I J K L M N O P C D C plus CDC plus. We have to yes. do something with the alphabet, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, my sense is you're going to grade it pretty, you're going to give it a pretty high grade. Um, <laughs> Uh, Don't my grade is not influenced <laughs> by your grade and vice versa. You give it your own grade. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I don't know, Ben. I don't know because I'm conf- it, the whole thing is is weird because the the directions say to heat it, and so I'm it, it, so I I'm I I'm just I I don't know what to do because it's. I guess I would say, well, so and I already said what I would do to fix it. I would say if you're in, if you're intent, the what I would mark them down for is to say something very blunt, like if your intent is to consume this raw, don't return it yep. for refund, right? If you're if you always eat, heat this product to seventy degrees C for one minute, you're fine to do that here, um, and if you don't have a thermometer, um, heat it until it nearly reaches a boil, but realize that 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 is less precise than uh uh using a thermometer right um i i you know what i'll i'll give it a b plus i i think he, i because i in, in anticipation of you giving it a good grade i'm going to give it a b plus no so i think you're you're overestimating my my grade i actually think it's it's pretty good i'm gonna I, i'm gonna go with a b plus as well one thing that i didn't that, that I think is missing. And, and I've been, I've been doing a lot of work on recall messaging and, and thinking about this entire system, right? Like of how do we, who, who writes the press release? How do we get it to people? What does it need to say from a regulatory standpoint, but what does it also need to say from a risk communication standpoint? I think that's missing. I think I, I, you know, I, I don't think, I actually think that the label itself has more risk communication than the announcement of the recall. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's yes. a link yes. to how to reduce your risk of illness. Yes. Great. I think that information needs to be right in here. I think the, you know, um, one, one thing that I've, I've really appreciated what FDA has done over the last little while is this is a great label. Show me where it is on the product. How can I find it? Where should I be looking for my lot numbers? Where do I find the use by date? Right? Like you've given me those, you've given mm-hmm. me the label so I know what it looks like, but actually it's not as actionable as here's a circle. This is your use yes. by date. Do you have one of these? Yes. Go look for that. Yes. So, so I'm going to give it a B. Uh, I think I said a B plus, but I, mm-hmm. I've just talked myself down a little yeah. bit, No, but I, I think I, that it's. I, I, yeah. I, that is a valid criticism and I might be also be willing to change my grade because I think you make a very good point. <laughs> well, and good, that's, that's okay. Uh, um, but I think that this is like having this secondary actionable thing. Don't, you don't have to throw this out. And I really liked your message of if this is something that you already pasteurize, but, or, you know, heat before consuming, continue to do that. Um, I think that, that having a, 
like just having that information in here is really interesting. What's what's very, and I, I want so so I'm gonna give it a B. You've got a B plus. You may drop that down to a B. Um, that there that that's our that's the bit. But one thing that I think is really interesting about this is, would you, if this was a ground beef product or a raw poultry product that had been linked, not, not just to like, not just ill. Well, so actually let's take it as a ground beef product that came up as part of our surveillance program. Would you also include the message that they have here of, Hey, you could do two things. One, you can take it back Two, you can cook this beef to a safe temperature, to, you know, using a thermometer to, to ensure safety. Yeah, and is if, it if your intention is to cook this without using a thermometer, we don't recommend that, and you should return it, right? Yeah, would you like? Because we don't do that. That's, no, we that's don't. We absolutely right? don't do that. But it's but it's it's a valid scientific message. So I I'm fine with it. I, I don't. I mean, you know, I, I'm fine with it. But I but I don't think we'll ever see a regular and and and, and, it, and it and I think it matters too whether it's a routine surveillance sample or it's an outbreak, right? Because. And we still don't really understand this, like see the chicken liver outbreak, right? Um, yes. We have outbreaks where for some reason we have a, a high number of cases with a particular product from a particular plant or a you know, particular batch or, or series of batches. And there must be something about that that causes that risk elevation and where we don't know the cause, but we know that it is elevated because of an outbreak. I'm less willing to do that, but it's a simple surveillance sample and not, and no cases. I'm fine with that message. So two things I, I, I set you up here, Don. Oh no. Um, well, no, <laughs> like not, <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I mean, two, like, I, I guess not, maybe not two, a few things that I'm thinking about. I think heating milk is more, is more, oh, more even yep, yep. than, than ground beef. So I, so That's I think, I don't know if I, Right. Um, I also think that cross contamination with pasteurized milk is less likely ah, than in a ground beef product. Yep. You caught also, me. I gotcha. I gotcha here. The last thing I'm going to throw at you is some work that, that a friend of the show, a friend of ours, Lynn McMullen did on thermotolerant, yep. um, oh, you know, uh, shigatoxin producing E. coli. So also like what we're making. And again, this is, this is why like both of us, I think come at these things from different perspectives. I don't know the answer to risk of whether like if it's a if it's sugar toxin producing e coli that's in that ground beef very few of them may be thermotolerant meaning like you got to heat it above at one, you know, 160 fahrenheit maybe it's 162 maybe it's 168 i don't know what it is but lynn's got some really good stuff that she's looked at from outbreak strains yep. re- retroactively or retrospectively i guess not retroactively and and showing that that actually might have been a factor here so so being overly protective in the absence of knowing that information might be a you know might be okay but again that's a, it's a risk right that's a risk management decision so anyway all those all those things i think i i I am. I agree, though. Like, I think that the I'm more and more cognizant of of food waste as it relates to food safety. See our entirely great episode with um, uh, Mrs. Soup, Soup, Kathy yep. Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, those are those are the things that came to mind. But this is a great like. Thank you, Jasper, for sending this one because we I I hadn't seen this and and it gives us a real like a lot of great things to to talk about. 
Well, good. Well, I had a couple more that I wanted to do, but we're running short on time. So, uh, but I do absolutely on the next episode, I absolutely do want to give uh, a, a discussion to uh, a excellent comment uh, on hot tamales uh, from Alex Castillo. And I really do. Uh, I got a, we got a great tweet from Crispin Harris uh, on, on uh, tap overnight tap water and, and about risk in general. And so I really do want to cover those, but I don't think we have time to do them justice today. So I think, I think that might be a show. I agree. I think that might be a show. But that and was that was also for the, you in the biz. That's what's known as a teaser. <laughs> yeah, for our we're gonna have some uh, some next steps on this, um, and we'll talk about those other things in the next part two of this episode. No, it'll be a totally different episode number. Uh, all right. Um, I was gonna like say that's been another episode of Risky or Not, and I was just gonna read by you know from my memory, <laughs> uh, but we don't do that with this one. So uh, that was food safety well, talk. Um, Oh, yeah. Also known as Risky or Not follow-up. Risky or Not follow-up. Uh, a Risky or Not episodes part two, three, six, and nine. Um, uh, uh, bye. Bye, Ben. <laughs> bye, John. Okay, I am sending you um, the Lynn McMullen. Oh, yeah. I, I, I got, is it the genetic determinants of heat resistance in E. coli? Uh, yes, you got genetic determinants. You got, yep. yep. For, yep. Here's microbiology. Yep. Yep. Got it. Yeah, she's got um, a bunch of articles, but that looked like the best, is most recentest one. So. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That was, and I love this one because she did it like, this is one of the better, not one of the better, but it like really, really spells it out. It's one of those ones that I feel like I now have in my pocket of um, 160 isn't magic. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like see Mercer at all as a, as an example. Yep. Um, okay. Um, okay. So, and you got a hard out at two and I have a hard out at two. I am okay. So I'm gonna get. I'm. I'm gonna try and get this done fast. Okay. Next week I'm going on vacation. Nice. Yeah. So we're gonna we're on the spring break and we're gonna go to the mountains and go mountain biking, and it's gonna be awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um. But so that means I'm not that we were gonna try and record this next week anyway. Uh, but I will, I will not be able to record until the fifth. Okay. 
and I could do the fifth. Mondays are a little bit messy. Um, how does the seventh in the anytime before one thirty look? Oh, that's when you you're going to be in Byron's class. Is that correct? Yeah, but I don't Seven? have to. Uh, that guest lecture is at noon, so we could do uh, we could do nine nine yep. nine thirty. Perfect. Let's do nine thirty, and then um, yeah, FST recording done. Thank you for rescheduling this. Um, oh, I no will. Uh, we uh, our our proposal is submitted. Or the not. It's a weird. Oh, it was a quote. Okay. Yeah. But it's in and it's like it, it's all finished. And I I don't know. Maybe we'll get it. Yeah. Oh, the only potential problem is that is also my stump grinding day. So right. It, it may be a little bit of ambient noise depending on what time they come. But that's well. That's fine. I mean, how bad Ew. could it be? Right. Right. <laughs> We can work around that. I'll be like, it'll be, it'll be totally fine. Did you get my ambient noise from the birds outside and Danny yelling at Stanley? I did not. One time. Oh, we'll see. We're we're good. Oh, but you need my audio for this. I do. How would you You like it? Just drop it into Dropbox as the way, like the, not the, the recorded file. Don't do any processing. Okay, cool. And like the big, like, you know, many, many gigabytes. If you can. With the, with the two tracks together, but separate, but, but one file. Yeah, whatever that like thing that it draw. Um, let me tell you what the it's like dot call recorder, right? Yeah, or whatever. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just drop that file into the podcast. Yep. You know this. Yep. The folder and episode. yep. Yep. And then and, I will let that download. And do you do do you do anything where you equalize the tracks? I do. Okay. Yeah. Because it'll, so it'll I just use, need to, to do the opposite, right? Because whichever one is louder will be quieter on this one. Because I record right. That. Yeah, so. so I do. I I use. I still use Levelator, oh. and and then I yeah, and then I listen to it, and it the I started using it again maybe five or six episodes ago because they brought one out like they stopped oh. using it, and now it's back. Oh, cool! I did not know that. Yeah, so it um, it worked like and it works really well because cool. my my audio well my new setup was was really low and then i started peaking so i moved it down anyway i've been messing around with it but yeah levelator is working again cool cool um and then we'll do this again for uh, another year and then we'll move to zoom (laughs) exactly (laughs) all right uh i think that's it i will talk to you later bye-bye bye